This is a classic podcast from Unqualified Gamers. Hear more at unqualifiedgamers.com. If you had to describe to, let's say, Araxagoras, the Greek philosopher, okay? Uh huh. What a video game is, how would you do it? In 300 Latin words or less, or English. I don't know Latinese, mm-hmm. so it would be hard, uh, or Englishese all that good mm. so all that well it'd be hard either way all right good well then we won't do that but i would have tried <laughs> yes i've been recording i record everything you say to me really um you know so i can use it against you later yeah well that, you wouldn't be the first nope uh would i not have other people recorded you and used what you said against you later every day of my life it's called women oh did you see what i did there man what a good joke thank you folks Have a good night. This has been Unqualified, a video game podcast where two guys who have no business talking about women talk about video yeah, well, games. Well, certainly no business talking about women, but also no business talking about video games. But mostly no business talking... But mostly no business talking about women. Yes. So that's why we talk about video games, because we have less, less business talking about video games. Yeah, the podcast, the podcast could be called Completely Unqualified to Talk About Women or Unqualified to Talk About Video Games. That would be a long-ass title. Because then I would have to add .tumblr.com to the end of it, and then what? Yeah, it's a really long website, isn't it? Yeah. So, well, we we are going to talk about video games, whether we're qualified to or not. Uh, John, how drunk Correct. how drunk are you? Uh, well, I have to work later, so very. Okay. Good. Just making sure. Because you told me off-air one time, because we're on-air apparently, <laughs> uh, that you are, are always drunk when, when we record. Well, always. Every, uh, the 13-step program, that's me. What? It's not 13 steps, is it? No. I'm using the wrong program. You need to, one, you need to do the program that's 13 two-steps. You're bleeping that uh, out, right? See I'm what using, I did there? I'm using the wrong program. All right, good. Well, this week, I guess I'm going to talk about a video game. Is it Nino Kuni? It is Mini Kimono, Wrath of the White Swan. It's a crossover between uh, Miyazaki and Ranma One Half. Good. Yeah. I need more transsexuals in my video games. <laughs> you and me both. Uh, no, actually, I've been playing Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword, which, why have you not played this yet? Probably because it's on Wii, and it was hard enough for me to hook my Wii up just to play Xenoblade, uh, <laughs> let alone trying to then hook it up for another game. Not to mention, I don't actually own it, um, and I like to buy my games legitimately. So Wait, you know, why so. was it hard? Because you put your PS3 and your 360... TRT TV with HDMI ports, but the Wii U just use a component cable. They're actually hooked. They're actually hooked up to my receiver, which is an HDMI receiver. Oh god! Uh, in fact, and I don't think I've got. And I've only got component cables for my Wii, and I could hook that up directly to my TV, but then it wouldn't go through my awesome receiver, uh, so I could come out all the channels. Actually, so uh, um, yeah, that's why I haven't played it yet. Though. Yes, because you. Yes, because you need your five point one channel. Yeah, the sound. I, the, it just sounds so good. Okay. Like I... All right. Well, good for you. Good for you. Well, you should get Skyward Sword. Uh, let me ask you something. 
When you think of Zelda, do you think... So, Link to the Past, Ocarina of Time, Wind Waker, Twilight Princess, essentially kind of tell the same story. It's kind of a theme in variations, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things that Zelda's been criticized for uh, in the past, is that the formula of the game is pretty much always the same. Right. Uh, would you criticize it for that, or do you like? What are your thoughts on on that? I guess for for me, there's something um, there's something like nostalgic and comforting about that particular uh, kind of of structure, like the fact that it's structured the same every time. But as video games have been evolving, have been evolving, which obviously they have been, that structure is. I guess maybe starting to grow a little tired Mm -hmm. just with, with where video games are now. It's I think gamers are expecting a little more than the same formula each time when you're talking about a franchise. That being said, Zelda's, you know, the Zelda fanboys, which I've always been a fan of Zelda, but I've never been them. I mean, like there are Zelda fans that are ridiculously hardcore Zelda fans. I've never been that. I have always liked the game. So for, for me, I, I probably am more critical than most fans most hardcore fans of zelda sure okay if that makes sense yeah that does make sense because i think that i am in the same place as you i love zelda and i love the zelda games i remember when i got ocarina of time you know playing it for you know god knows how long you know it was one of those whenever you get a new zelda game it was basically beat it within like as fast as possible it was like right. just play it nonstop until you beat it, and that I was that way with with all of the Zelda games, really. Even Twilight Princess, to a degree, actually, no, definitely Twilight Princess, because I played it over a winter break that year of college. So every Zelda game is just like the, the minute I get it, you're just eating it up and tearing through it. But at the same time, I you know I I had this stigma before I started playing, and I started playing this game over a year ago. It must have been. Yeah, it was. It must have been over a year ago, and I started playing it, and it was very like tutorially, you know. And okay, we're introducing the general. Well, welcome to Zelda, right? Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. Well, that's every Zelda game does that. I think Twilight Princess jumps you, you know, throws you pretty head first, a little bit. It kind of depends, but I, I thought uh, I thought Twilight Princess did a good job avoiding that personally. Twilight Princess, for the record, is my favorite Zelda game. So, you know, I get, I start and I do this tutorial part and I'm like, okay, I know every other Zelda game. I would spend like hours and hours and hours on this. That's great. I'm sure it gets better. I've heard it gets better. That's great. I hear the second half of the game gets better. I hear it gets better, blah, blah, blah. And I keep trying to tell myself this, but it never really sank in. And so I just stop after four hours. Now in that four hours, I did the... You know, the section where you start the game and you do the the non-dungeon, which means you enter a cave, kill, like, three bats, and get some item. Great, okay. And I actually had gotten to the first temple at that point and then just stopped, like, halfway into the first temple. I never even beat the first temple boss because I wasn't in love with the gameplay. Well, I picked it up. It would have been eight or nine days ago. Let's say nine days ago. And since I picked it up nine days ago, I have put in over 30 hours. Because it got really a lot better, and I really wish sure. that I hadn't let. I really wish that I hadn't let the whole "oh, it's going to follow the same formula" stigma get to me. Because this game absolutely breaks the Zelda formula. 
that's that's good. How does it do that? Yeah. So for for you listener, for basically anybody that knows anything about video games is going to know the Zelda system, right? Okay. You need to grab. You need to get. Let's say three pendants or something. Like Legend of Zelda: Link to the Past set this up, right? You get three pendants, then you get the Master Sword, then you find the seven crystal, uh, the seven uh, sages in the crystals, and then you go fight the big boss. Okay, Ocarina. Of- I mean, I think I think breaking it down even further, the basic Zelda mantra is: dungeon, find an item in dungeon, use that item to destroy boss in dungeon. Next dungeon, new item use that new item to beat the boss in that dungeon, rinse and repeat. Oh, that's interesting. I think that's that's the the basic structure of, of Zelda when you break it down to its most... Because not all games have that, have that like, find three pendants and then find seven crystals. Or, I mean, the, the general structure is that you use the item you find in the dungeon to kill the boss, and then you maybe use that item for an optional spot later to find a heart container. But for the most part, you never really have to use that item again. Right, that makes sense. It's interesting that you broke it down more microscopically because I I would disagree, and I would say that the Zelda franchise has followed that. Uh, um, Ocarina of Time, you have to get the three whatever they are, and then you go to the Temple of Time, and then in the adult world, you have to just you know do six temples, and then go to the final boss. So it's it's kind of broken up into like you get three of something, then you graduate to the Master Sword or whatever, and then you do five or six of something. Uh, uh, Twilight Princess didn't do it as much. I can't remember the structure of Twilight Princess off the top of my head, but it didn't do it as much. But even Wind Waker fell prey to that a little bit because you get the first few items and then you kind of graduate to this more powerful thing. And then you have to get the Triforce shards, which is your favorite part of Wind Waker. And then that's everybody's favorite part, right? Yeah. And then once you get all the Triforce shards, then you go to the, you know, the ending. So I always have felt like it's broken up into a get a few things, do this, get a few things. Uh, which this game, I guess, kind of still does a little bit, although much more loosely than the other games. But to address what you were saying, it absolutely does not do that. It absolutely is not go into a dungeon, find an item, use that item on the boss, graduate, you know, go to the next thing, okay? This game is very smooth and flowing, and you'll, you'll hear a lot about... This game is a lot different than other Zelda games. This game is a lot different. Well, I'm going to tell you how it's different. Everything feels like a dungeon. The whole world feels like a dungeon. So, to give you an example, between, let's say, maybe the second and third temples, you have to find a key. You're in, like, a a volcano area, kind of like a... uh, uh, Death Mountain from Ocarina of Time. You know, just a hot... There's lava everywhere. You're on a mountain, basically. No Gorons, though. Uh, you're on a mountain, and to get into the temple on this mountain, you need to find uh, certain items. So you're running all over this mountain trying to collect, like, a handful of items to put together the pieces of a key, which means you have to explore that entire mountain. So you're getting to see this huge scenery. It took me probably, in a couple cases, two hours to even gain access to certain dungeons proper by running around the areas where they were and running into little miniature shrines. Uh, You know, in Ocarina of Time, they would have, or even Wind Waker especially, Wind Waker especially, you would drop into these little, like, not mini dungeons, but mini areas where you would have to do a puzzle or two. And it wasn't a full dungeon, but it was just kind of a miniature little area. 
you there are all these miniature areas scattered all around some of the access points. So let's say uh, you're in the desert. There's a desert in this game. You're running around the desert, and you'll enter three distinct, separate kind of mini temples. Have to go through those and you know activate something in each of those in order to activate access to the main temple. And then you have to run through a new area of the desert that was unlocked to get to that temple. But that breaks up the monotony of dungeon break, dungeon break, dungeon break. It, it, it's like the creators made the entire like land of The Legend of Zelda, and instead of making it a means to an end or like okay, we'll put in this field, you know, to get you from one place to the other. It's like they just structured the entire game to kind of have a dungeon feel. So there's almost always an objective you're working towards and things like that. Am I making any sense? That, well, does part of that have to do, uh, that feeling that you're getting of, of the world being a dungeon, does part of that have to do with the the combat system and how they've overhauled that for the Wii now? I would say probably no. Um, it's just, it's the pacing of the game, you know? Like, Hyrule Field and Ocarina of Time. Okay, you exit Kokori Forest for the first time, there's Hyrule Field. What do you do in Hyrule Field? You run across it. Yeah, you run across it. That's all you do. You run across it. You run across it. Yeah. And obviously, obviously in this game, there are areas that you have to run across, but at the same time, those areas have objectives. Picture Hyrule Field... And pretend that Hyrule Field had, you know, three bushes where you could cut them down, fall into a hole, and collect parts of a key that would unlock Lamon Ranch or something. That's the kind of difference we're talking about. So there, there are objectives in all of these major areas, plus all the side quests. But it, how apparent are these objectives? They're very apparent. Like, are you are you given them, or do you stumble upon? Oh no, you you're absolutely absolutely given them. Uh, there's there's still the discovery involved in a lot of side quests, uh, and I'll get to that in a minute. But for the most part, so the game is divided into you start on this floating island. I don't remember what it's called. Whatever we'll call it, Outset Island, because that's what they called it in Wind Waker. So whatever. So you start on Outset Island. It's a floating island in the sky. You're part of these Sky Knights, and basically they jump off the island, whistle to call their bird, and then the bird comes, swoops in, and you ride the bird around. So there's this whole sky that's open to you at the at the beginning of the game, kind of like in Wind Waker, where you have the boat, and then once you get the boat, you can kind of sail from from island to island. But now the sky is open to you. And there are various floating islands in the sky. But they improved on Wind Waker by not overwhelming you with islands. I mean, there's a handful and you can visit them. But the number of populated islands is kind of small. And you can get to them reasonably quickly. So it's not just sailing forever and, you know, in Wind Waker, you're kind of tempted to just visit every single island as soon as you have your sea chart. But it's a lot better to make it more manageable. So Skyward Sword has that be manageable. You can visit some of these islands. And on some of the islands, there are treasure chests, just like in Wind Waker, how you could go to all these different islands and get treasure. But in Wind Waker, of course... You know, you couldn't access certain treasures until you got the hookshot, or until you got certain bombs, or until you got certain arrows. So, which is kind of standard Zelda. 
design. Yeah, I think it's kind of standard. A lot of Nintendo games. I mean, the that's, Metroid. That's st- well, that's not Nintendo games. In general. I mean, that's Metroidvania. That's like standard. Yeah, standard Metroidvania. Metroidvania yeah, kind of a thing. And that's standard. This game does something really smart. And so most of the game takes place kind of on the ground. It actually has a very Final Fantasy thirteen feel. God, I hate how much we reference that f***ing game. But instead of starting on Cocoon and going down to Pulse, you start in the sky and then you go down to the ground. And it's the same exact stigma with the sky people. They're like, oh, nobody goes to the ground, like nothing's below the clouds. You know, exact same thing. The, the parallel is annoying, frankly. Uh, but most of the game, all the dungeons, all the adventures, you know, the, the mountain and the desert, obviously, all that stuff is on the ground beneath the clouds. And... On all these floating islands, they have these treasure chests, but rather than require you to have certain items or abilities to open the treasure chests, there are these things on the ground called sky cubes, and they're just big cubes that sit around, and you can activate these cubes by being on the ground, you use a a sword technique on the cubes, and when you do that, the cubes kind of dissolve, and a comet shoots up into the air, or like a flash of light shoots into the air. And then the next time you return to the sky, there's an indicator on your map showing you which one of these treasure chests was activated, and then you can open that treasure chest. So immediately upon starting the game, you're able to fly to like 20 different islands. There's a treasure chest on most of them, but you can't open them because they're all just like steel, locked, whatever. And only when you go to the ground and activate these things, when you go back to the sky, then you can see on your map there's an indicator showing you which one of these have been unlocked. So it kind of leads you directly to all of these. Kind of cool. Yeah, it makes sense because if you think about it, in Wind Waker, you had no indicators. You know, you would have to remember or look up or write down where certain treasures were on what island. You know, you could go back to an island. I remember in that game, I would visit an island seven or eight different times in the game and still not have the right thing to unlock that secret. Well, in this game, you can immediately access every island. That's great. But you're given a very clear indicator as soon as you unlock that island so you know exactly when to go and get that treasure chest. I think it takes a lot of the monotony and revisiting out of the game, personally. Well, that just... I I think they're just taking a page from more... uh more contemporary game design because gamers are more impatient now than they used to be. And they're there's too many games to play. So like, you, yeah, you need to make it, you need to make it, you need to make it like the, the note taking easier on the, on the gamer now. Yes. When they're playing games, you, you can't make, you can't make it their responsibility to remember everything anymore because there are so many games they don't have to do that for that. We don't have to do that for. So, that's just game design now. Yeah. And it's good that they, it's good that they, you know, adopted that because otherwise it would seem pretty archaic. Yes. So the TLDR version of what I just said is they did a good job of modernizing this game because that, sure. my big hang up about buying, I mean, I'm probably going to buy Wind Waker HD, but I am not looking forward to f***ing sailing for... Unless, unless they've done an overhaul of that, which that, that was so much a part of the game. I, I don't know if they would have, but... It's so much sailing, John. It's so much just sitting around and sailing. It is. It's a lot. It's a lot of sailing. A lot of fucking sailing. A lot of. Sailing by the same token, game. they make it a little interesting by throwing in little pirate ships here and there, and things for you to loot. Whereas I will say a, a slight weakness 
in my opinion, in Skyward Sword is that when you're flying, you're just kind of flying. Now, you do shake the Wii Remote to uh, to kind of ascend. You're able to boost a little bit like Epona. You get a little little carrot kind of a boost. Uh, and you're able to adjust your altitude, you know, go up and down because the this guy's very three-dimensional. They, they put the islands on different altitudes. But other than flying, you're I mean, you're flying. The music is great. I love the music. It's full orchestration for most of the soundtrack. Amazing soundtrack. This is this is an amazing Zelda soundtrack. But you're just kind of flying. You're not shooting anything. You don't use your bow and arrow. You don't. You know, it's that part's kind of whatever. But back on the ground, I mentioned all these cubes that you have to shoot and things like that. And just because they gave you the indicator doesn't mean that it's easy to find all these cubes. You know, you have to do searching out for them and all that stuff to get the side things. Uh, one other major difference between this game and past Zelda games is none of the items for the first 30 hours of the game that I had were past Zelda items. We're talking like no boomerang, no bow and arrow, no crossbow. Okay, that's not that's not strictly true. Bombs, first of all, don't count because every Zelda game has to have bombs. And... Let's face it, that's a staple of the series. I think the bomb is almost as important to Link as the sword and shield. I mean, right? I'm glad that you immediately backpedaled and qualified what you just said. Well, we are... Although our podcast is unqualified, I'd like to occasionally qualify what I've said. Sure. But other than bombs... <laughs> other than bombs in the slingshot, uh, all of the all of the dungeon items are new, and they have new ways of controlling them, and they're kind of cool. So it doesn't feel like, oh, you're getting the boomerang. Oh, and then you're getting the hookshot. No, oh, you're getting the bow and arrow. Uh, they reordered things, and it's really cool. And uh, there's some cool abilities. So you've got a lot of new items. You've got, you know, the, the sky versus the ground kind of thing. Uh, but every time you're on the ground, like I said, it just feels like you're working towards a specific goal, and it's not just find the next dungeon or find the next thing. Uh, how do you feel about fighting the end boss of a game in the first battle and then fighting them again later? I, don't, I guess I don't have a problem with it. I've never really thought about it. Doesn't bug me. It doesn't it seems, bug you? Like, no, it seems like it could be fine. It pisses me off. If it's done, I, I feel like if it's done correctly, it would be just fine. No, it's never done correctly. Oh, all right. No, because if the boss is that powerful, why don't they just kill you? If the boss is that powerful to where you... Again, if it's done well, it seems like it could be fine. When was it ever I, done I, well? I don't, I don't know. I don't know but either. There have been, been other games. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is Breath of Fire 2. I'm sure there's lots of other ones. But the boss does kill you immediately. And then you you wake up and the remainder of the game is like spent chasing down this boss. Okay, I guess that's fair if he kills you immediately. Yeah, um... I, I can't think of any others off the top of my head. Okay. But... Well, like, I was not a fan of fighting Golbez ten times in Final Fantasy IV and beating him every time. Certain things like that. I, I don't like recurring major villains that you fight either once at the start of the game or multiple times or whatever, and then they suddenly are really powerful at the end of the game. I, I, I don't like that. I haven't beaten this game yet, but there is a villain that appears at the very beginning who you duel with, and the duel was really weird. Uh, I kept hitting... I couldn't hit him. I don't think I hit him once with my sword. It was like a sword fight. I don't think I actually hit him. I just had him parry a bunch of times, and then he just kind of ran away. So I don't know if I had to hit him 
hit his sword a certain number of times or if it was timed. I, I don't know what was going on, but that was kind of weird and it felt off. And it keeps popping up. And I'm like, okay, I get it. You're like the big bad kind of of this game. Whatever, it's fine. But I don't know how I feel about it. But there is there is a villain that they at least introduce at the start of the game who you know is – who adds some – personality to the bad guys in the game and uh he's kind of obnoxious but i will tell you is uh in the i guess what you would call the water temple in this game the boss of that temple is the most fun zelda boss fight i think i've ever had that's good yes the boss fights for the most part really do not disappoint in this game uh, the- so talk about talk about combat a bit because I know that was one of the like when this game was first shown off and when uh, when like the demos and stuff had had come out and people were getting kind of the first looks of it that was the thing that was that felt more different than like anything else about any other Zelda game. So this game uses the Wii Motion Plus controller. Uh, you know that little attachment you put in the butt of your your Wii remote to make it a one to one. Uh, comparison with your TV. Do you have that? I don't. Oh, well, look at that. I do. Ha! I have two, actually. Just saying. Um, so, yeah, that's what they released, Wii Sports Resort, uh, with that. And it gives your, your controller it just more accurately detects the Wii remote, you know, for how you're moving it. So Link's sword swings at a one-to-one ratio with your Wii remote, which means... Like, pretty legitimately one-to-one? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean... You point it in any direction, and you're you're pretty much there. I mean, it, it utilizes the Wii Motion Plus flawlessly. It's unbelievable. Uh, the, it's a Nintendo game, so of course it does. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It follows it one to one. So there are enemies like there's a there's a three headed Hydra that you fight several times. Uh, just like a little whatever side guy, he takes one hit to kill. But so he's got three heads. Okay, uh, left, middle, and right, and while it while you're locked onto it, it'll start to slowly shift its head. So it'll move to either, you know, high up or in the middle of its body or low. And it shifts, like every couple seconds it'll shift. And you have to wait until these heads are lined up either diagonally or in a straight line. And then you need to slash your sword at that angle to hit all three heads at once to kill it. So if it has, you know, the heads are lower left, middle center, upper right, then you have to do a down left to up right slash. And if you don't do that accurately, then you only kill one or two of the heads and then it regrows the other heads and then it gets pissed and hits you. So that's the kind of, that's how it utilizes that control. So it's almost, it's almost like a puzzle. Almost, yeah. Are other enemies like that as well then? Kind of like little puzzles? Yes, yes. Well, that's why the boss battles are so fun, because you're not just mashing on the controller. There are a couple bosses, there's like a scorpion boss, and it has eyeballs, of course, weak spots, in its claws. And it opens its claw, but the claw is open at a certain angle. So you may have to do a vertical slash, you may have to do a horizontal slash, you may have to do a diagonal slash to hit it. There are other enemies that you actually have to thrust, and that's a little bit tricky, but once you get used to it, you have to actually physically push your Wii remote forward in order to actually thrust into these enemies, like into certain eyeballs and into certain uh, – you actually operate some machinery using your sword. So you'll, you'll thrust your sword into the machine, turn your wrist to the left 90 degrees to kind of click it, 
uh, to, to, to like turn a combination on a safe and then hit the A button to like reinsert it. So there's a lot of one-to-one utilization of your Wii Motion Plus controller. And it's all it's all amazingly well done. None of it feels gimmicky. None of it feels unnatural. None of it feels forced. Like, it all just feels like you're a badass. And every time you take your sword out of its sheath, your Wii Remote makes this really cool, you know, sword out of sheath sound effect. This really obvious, like, shing. So you feel like a badass every time you pull your sword or hit anything. Yeah, Good. it's cool. No, it's... I don't want to say, like, it makes you feel like you're in the game, but it kind of does. Even the bombs utilize the Wii Motion Plus controller. So if you have a bomb and your Wii remote is is held kind of straight up and down, then Link is holding it above his head. And then you can flick the Wii remote forward to throw the bomb at an arc, okay? Or if you're holding it more kind of parallel to the ground, then he's just kind of running with it, and he's got you know kind of got it tucked, and then if you hit A, you can just drop it somewhere. Or if you hold it straight down, if you're pointing the Wii remote at the ground... Then he kind of tucks it under his arm like a bowling ball, and if you flick your Wii remote up, like, forward towards the TV, then he rolls the ball somewhere. So he has to roll bombs into some crevices, he'll roll it into little areas where there are, like, mice enemies and things like that. So you're rolling balls forward and things like that. Interesting. So, like I said, yeah, every every part of this game is utilizing this Wii Motion Plus. It doesn't feel gimmicky, it doesn't feel forced, it doesn't get tiring, because my, my worry with with Twilight Princess, when they started using the Wii Remote for swordplay, was like, oh, I don't want to wave my, you know, freaking Wii Remote back and forth to Slash or whatever. But this game just makes it so badass. Oh, it's just so ridiculous. <laughs> Any, like, uh, side quests or anything like that? Like, I mean, are there things that, are there things yes, not related yes, to the main story? Yes, absolutely. I was going to get to that. Yeah, I was going to get to that. So, they, that's really robust. Uh, first of all, you get a bug-catching net near the beginning of the game, and you can collect bugs, like in Twilight Princess. And could you do that in uh, Wind Waker? You could do it in Link to the Past. You could. Well, you yeah, but there were only, net. like, bees and fairies, basically. Uh, well, in this game, there are 12 different types of bugs that you can catch that live in various parts of the world. Some you have to sneak up on. Uh, like a lot of ones in the desert are really are really kind of fleety. So there's like a cicada in the desert and you hear the cicada sound effect anytime you're near it and you have to like very slowly walk with your joystick or it'll immediately fly away. And you can catch that, you know, with your net or whatever and then later you can use it to... Uh, upgrade some of your equipment you can actually upgrade things so like uh, you're using those and other components well so there's the bugs that you can catch with your net and there's also kind of monster materials for lack of a better term there are 12 of those that get either dropped by monsters or found in treasure chests so like there are blob-like enemies and when you kill the blob-like enemies they may leave behind monster jelly or whatever and you may need four monster jellies and three uh, monster bones and two, uh, you know, some kind of rock or whatever to upgrade your slingshot pouch to hold five additional slingshot bullets. So instead of just going and buying these or finding them or winning them for missions, you have to collect these things. So you're collecting bugs throughout the game, you're collecting these other monster components throughout the game. And, and you can use those to upgrade things. There are also a ton of side quests up in your hometown, Outside Island or whatever it's called, 
there are a bunch of side quests involving this kind of monster that lives there uh, that needs your help getting people doing favors for people. And I don't want to go into a ton of detail on that because it'll kind of spoil some stuff. But basically, there are a lot of little fetch quests you can do for people. Like, oh, my baby is crying. I need you to find her rattle so I can put her to sleep. Um, very, like, traditional, typical Zelda-feeling quests, but... That doesn't really sound like... That doesn't really sound like anything that's been in Zelda before, though. Like, there have never, there have never really been, like, fetch quests. I mean, kind of the most intricate side quest I can remember is the bartering side quest throughout all of Ocarina of Time, but that's that was only one specific type of thing. That was quite elaborate. Right, but it was it was only one thing. It was only bartering. Yeah. I mean, that was it. So it was just fetch quest after fetch quest. This sounds a little more varied than that. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, some of them, it'll be like, oh, my sister got lost on an island on the way somewhere. Can you find her? And you have to scan some islands to try and find her. And then when you do find her, found, turns out you need a potion, so you have to go get a potion to bring to her. Um, so there's a little back and forth. None of it's really boring or bad or monotonous. But, uh, but yeah, there are, there are a ton of side quests available there. There are a couple other islands. There's a a kind of funny one. There's a little pumpkin island where the owner of this little pumpkin shop is, you know, he's chilling or whatever. Everybody's hanging out and you can go and when you roll into walls, like pots and pans and things will fall off the shelves and break because that's what Link does. He breaks stuff. Well, in this uh, in this place, if you roll into a certain balcony, a chandelier will fall off the ceiling and shatter, and the owner gets really pissed and tells you you have to do a bunch of things to help him. And throughout the game, you'll go back to him, and he'll be like, "Oh, I can't think of anything now, but come back later, and I'll have more for you to pay off your debt." So you'll you'll continuously kind of check with him and do different things throughout the game. Um, so there, there's a decent amount of side missions, and then of course there's also the classic Zelda. Oh, I see something over there where obviously I can use a hook shot or a claw shot, but I don't get that till 20 hours later in the game. So those things where you you have to revisit an area to grab like a treasure chest or something else that was previously out of reach to you, you know what I mean? So in a lot of ways it's very Zelda. Uh the side quests are are pretty robust. You know, I would compare it to Wind Waker in terms of the side quests and things like that. Uh, and the one thing I, I did not talk about is the humor in this game. You can make Link a total dick, and it's hilarious. Like, when you're given an option to say yes or no to something, uh, y- you can just say something. I've laughed out loud at the options it gives you because it's usually, you know, you get asked all, all these stupid questions because everybody knows... In these story games, if, if if a character says something like, will you help me save the world? And if you say no, obviously they're just going to talk you back into it or ask you again or ignore you or whatever. So you pretty much have to say yes, right? And that's like, that's been around video right. games forever, especially RPGs. Well, in this game, you're, what, I, what you say when you say no is always, is almost always something totally irreverent. Like you're saying something like, you're not making any sense, or or uh, why would I help you again, or nah, don't feel like it, or something like that. Like to give you an example, there's a there's a very specific part where you kind of bust in on the bad guy uh, who's about to like pull off this thing, and somebody is like, "Oh, Link," and your options are uh, you know save the princess. You can say either like save her or just go exclamation point or am I late. 
like very kind of like James Bond like. It is really, really hard for me to describe these out of context, but like while you're playing the game, you'll notice that you can just kind of make Link a dick, and it's really funny. That does not sound at all like anything. No, that has no, been no. Before. But they're they're like they're seriously laugh out loud, ridiculous, funny. It, it's only one or two words, but the way the translation has done it is, uh, I would say the localization team gets a big two thumbs up for that because it's it's. It's not been as all of before. <laughs> you know, it's, there are no yes or no's. There are, you know, somebody will be up all night and you need to do a side mission to, to you know, they'll say something like, oh, I can't get any sleep at night. And you'll, you'll be able to say, like, why not? Or sucks to be you. You know, stuff like that. Like, like just totally smartass. So um, I do like that a lot about this game. And I would say overall, the game is obviously amazing because I've played like an average of three to four hours a day over the last week or so. Uh, and and it, it right. breaks the Zelda formula. It, it, so it's not, you know, it's it's not as predictable. You're finding yourself doing new things you've never done in Zelda before. It's entertaining as hell. And uh, I can't find a lot of weaknesses with the game other than the obvious, no, the graphics aren't as good as they would be on other next-gen systems. And... And it sounds like this. It sounds like it, it might have had kind of a slow start. Too, yes, and the slow you... start. I, I really, but it, I mean, it's you know, it's only three hours. You know, we've played RPGs with twenty-five hour tutorials. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, but that's still, I don't know. I guess in my opinion, that doesn't give it a pass just because there's other games that do it too. It just means it created a similar mistake to other games, in my opinion. Yeah, like it. You know, I mean, we're beyond that now. Like, we're beyond that type of game it's design. True. We just are. It's true. And I, I'm hoping, you know, Nintendo does a better job in the future. And I don't want to say that made it unplayable. I think, uh, you know, I think a lot of people won't have as big of a problem with it. Well, I mean, it it uh, it made you put the game down for a it long made time. me put the game down. But at the same time, I don't know. At the same time, I had a lot of other games to play at the time. and I didn't have a ton of patience for it. Which is the reason why, though, that particular mistake, that particular problem is a problem, is because there's so much else to play. Like, it really, games need to grab your attention. That's something That's they need true. to do. I would say the other part of it was I had an automatic stigma that this is going to be the exact same as every other Zelda game. And I think that made me kind of feel like, all right, if the tutorial is going to be the exact same, then the first dungeon is going to be the exact same, then the second dungeon is going to be the exact same. And it just felt repetitive, and I was like, I don't feel like waiting it out to discover what's cool about this game. And uh, like I said, I wish I hadn't. You know, I, I, I agree with you that Nintendo shouldn't have done that, and that still is bad, and that's not a good excuse. But I would say after listening to this podcast, the takeaway should be, if you're worried about it not being worth it, power through those worth few hours first few hours and it's it's definitely worth it and and frankly i spent a lot of time exploring right. stuff i probably ran around every inch of that island when i first got the game so i probably wasted some time maybe it'll only take you two hours i don't know but overall it's an amazing game and i cannot wait to beat it uh it's just it's just so fucking fun Huh, a Zelda game that's really good. Go figure. I know, I know, right? And for you hackers out there, or people with a, a modded Wii, one quick uh, note. When I was looking, I've been looking recently into Mario Kart. Buying games legitimately? No. 
No, never. I've been looking uh, lately into hacked Wii games. Are you so there are like four or five variants on New Super Mario Brothers Wii that are all hacks of the game with brand new levels. I've actually played several of these and they're really fun. So anyway, I was looking into Wii hacks games and there's one mod for Skyward Sword. And it's a very minor mod, but just for those interested, if you do have a modded Wii and you legally own uh, Skyward Sword and you're interested in replaying it, but you don't want to slog through the dialogue, there's a hack there. I don't know where it is or where it's available or what it's called, but there is a hack out there called the Instant Text Mod, and all the text in all the text boxes appears immediately. Maybe we could mod every game to do that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you think? Because that seems like something that every game you should have the option to do. Yeah. It would be nice. Well, if you th- if you remember the Zelda games and some other games, you know, they'll they'll spell out the writing slowly to emphasize things or they'll have it all of a sudden really big in all caps to kind of give you the illusion of it being spoken. Frankly, ideally, every game would have spoken dialogue, which this game does not. And I think that was the other jarring thing, was I started playing this game right after I had beaten, uh, I think, Final Fantasy XIII, or some other game. And reading text, I mean, come on. That's so 1995. Am I right? Yeah, nobody reads. Nobody, nobody reads anymore. Reading's for losers. Uh, so I, I'm glad that for my first playthrough I didn't use that particular mod because they would lose some dramatic effect in storytelling, I think. But if I replay through it, I will almost certainly pick up this this instant text mod hack or whatever. But but it is available. It is out there somewhere. Um, so go check that out if you, if you want. Right on. Yep, sounds like you're hot on it. That's good. I am hot on it. You know, I mean, it's probably better than mini kimono, but uh, I'm not going to brag about You'll it. You'll have to to check in again once you beat it, which I can't imagine it'd be much longer if you're 30 hours in. I think I'm in the last uh, non-end-of-the-game dungeon. Yeah, I mean, that's, like, for a Zelda game, that is an incredibly long time, even if you're exploring and getting everything, that's a long time. Yeah, and I I didn't spend a ton of time doing side quest stuff. Like, I, I, obviously I have a, to a certain degree, but because of the way, because of the way that there's a lot of stuff in the sky that you unlock, and then you're on the ground for most of the adventure part. I'll be on the ground for like five or six or more hours, adventuring and doing dungeons and and getting things, and then I'll go to the sky, do a quick, you know, hit the two or three treasure chests I did, and then go right back down and then go to the next area. So it's not like I I'm doing a ton of just sailing around like in Wind Waker. It's it's a, it's it's worth your money certainly. Right, all that money you put into yeah. it. Listener, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, you can find out kind of all of our information is on our Tumblr page, including our Twitter handle, stuff like that, right? Yeah, videogamepodcast.tumblr.com, which has a link to our iTunes feed. Right, so you could subscribe to us on iTunes. You could rate us there if you want. Uh, yeah, any kind of interaction would be nice. Especially the sexual variety. <laughs>